0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Excuse My Reach. I'm your host, Emma Isaac. Today, our guest is Deanie Chen, a New York City based photographer excelling in music photography. From touring with artists by the likes of Max, Holly Humberstone, and Lawrence, photographing well renowned festivals, to shooting and producing editorial photography, Deanie continues to make a name for herself with her unique style of motion, movement, and energy, all captured through images. If this full-time gig wasn't impressive enough, Dini also graduated from NYU School of Law, recently passed the bar, and is a law associate. Her tenacity to make it all work in the name of doing what you love is incredibly inspirational. I am excited to speak with, learn from, and hear what life looks like through her lens. So without further ado, Dini, welcome to Excuse My Reach Thank you so much for taking the very, very little spare time you have to come to talk with us on the podcast today. Of course, Um, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm
1: excited to catch up. Mostly, like this is going to be just like a nice little catch up session for us as well.
0: Absolutely, and kind of just some background there, because obviously that makes it seem like me and Dini know each other because we do know each other. We actually went to the same university. While well, we were both there, I started a magazine called Spec Magazine, and Dini was actually the photographer slash model for this publication that we started at school at University of Southern California. So we have not spoken or caught up in so long. So I'm really excited to hear like everything that you have going on, because from that intro alone, you guys can hear she's got a ton going on. So I kind of want to start from the very beginning. I want to know what you were like as a kid, okay? What were you interested in? Because I want to hear, like, how tiny, tiny Deanie got to where she is today from where it all began. Um, I guess, I
1: don't know. I was kind of a rogue kid. I, like, my dream as a kid was to be a whale trainer at SeaWorld. Um, <laughs> what? That's definitely not, like, okay now, obviously. But as a kid, I was like, oh, my God, I love orca whales, um, That's an amazing have just, fact. <laughs> just have always been, like, really into animals, like, stuff like that. But um, the other thing is, like, I wanted to be an artist as a kid, and I remember telling my parents that, and they're like, you're not going to make enough money to eat, like, you can't do that, like, you know, pick something else. Like, this was, like, very, very early on, but um, I guess I always just had a lot of art like adjacent things as hobbies they were very supportive of me like having art stuff as hobbies so I played classical piano for 11 years I danced for like about the same amount of time um and I like drew and like did a bunch of like arts and crafts and stuff like all my life um and just never thought like that was going to ever be something that would be like a job or anything um it was like ingrained in me very early on like artists starve like you need to have a um more reliable career um so yeah and then did the whole like went to high school took every AP class that I could to try to like my main goal is just get out of Kansas, which is where I grew up. Um, so got into USC, um, and ended up going there. And I think that really kind of changed my trajectory. Um, in Kansas, it's very much, there's not a lot of like the art scene is there, but it's not very big. And I very rarely saw a lot of women, a lot of Asian women in particular like occupying art spaces in Kansas so moving to LA and really getting like that whole new scope of what was possible was like really eye opening and i think that kind of like really opened up some doors for me in the sense that like now what i saw was possible was like a whole new world of things i've never considered before so i was like quite a late bloomer Art-wise, like, taking it really, really serious, it was always in my head just a hobby for, like, the majority of my life Um, until, like, I learned that it is possible.
0: That's really amazing that you kind of, sort of without that initial feeling that it could be possible to make money from this, to actually have it as a career, there were still ways that you were able to ingrain it in your life. I'm curious, when you moved to L.A., apart from just the scene being maybe more feeling accessible than Kansas, like there were a lot of creatives around you, were there specific things that you learned in school that helped you further that art career? Or was it more just being around people and then having kind of external opportunities that you sought out? Um, I guess,
1: honestly, not school related at all. I, In line with the very practical um, the practicality that was ingrained in me by my parents. I majored in economics, hated it, um, absolutely did not like it at all. <laughs> so I was like really grasping to find things outside of school that would provide me some um, like meaning and value in my life. Uh, so I think it was a lot of external stuff, but it was a. I think a large part was. Again, when I was in Kansas, I was the only, like, one of the only Asian kids in my school of, like, 600, and I was always very much, like, an outsider, just background-wise, and race and ethnicity, and, like, my parents were immigrants, like that, so then I just spent literally my entire life in Kansas getting very good at fitting in, and, like, really, like, all I wanted was to, like, blend in the background, not stand out, so I, like, Never, I kind of just like found ways to like the same things that the people around me did and like do the same things that people around me did. So I never gave myself space to even really explore other options. And I think when I moved to LA, that level of always feeling like an outsider and so different Definitely diminished a lot. I think it's always going to be a part of me. I'm always, like, a generally slightly uncomfortable person just because I'm just, like, <laughs> that's kind of how I was, like, grew up, and that was just how I was for so long. Um, but I think in LA, it was, like, the first time I felt like, okay, like, it's cool. My base-level self is okay, so now I can really explore and try to find who I am outside of just, like what I look like on the outside. Um, So I think that was like the biggest change in me where I was like, finally I can have, I feel confident enough in who I am that I can now really try to find what makes me tick and what makes me um, happy. Um, instead of just trying to like do whatever was around me, because it's very homogenous around me. Like, but at USC, everyone was interested in multiple things. Everyone's hustling, everyone's like trying a bunch of different things. So it really was a great place for me to grow and explore. Um, so not necessarily even LA, but like being at such a big university that's so diverse in interests and stuff and having like really co- talented and cool peers was like a big part of me being able to grow. Um, yeah, not pr- to probably didn't learn too much from economics in <laughs> trying to um, uh, do more photography or anything like that. But you know what, <laughs>
0: learning from your environment is definitely just as important. And it's so interesting to hear you speak about how you felt like an outsider and then coming to LA because I distinctly remember meeting you and thinking like, this girl knows who she is. You felt like somebody to me that just really like knew what you were good at and you honed in on the things that you were good at. And for me, I felt like I was trying to find constantly what I was good at. So it's so interesting to hear your perspective (laughs) because from an outsider's perspective, I'm like, oh no, she's like, so secure in like what she does she feels like she fits in because in every room that she walks in, she seems like she like knows where to belong so it's just it's interesting to hear you say that
1: that's very kind i mean i that (laughs) makes me happy that i can at least pull that off but no uh yeah no very much just always just grappling to fit in um like always that's just kind of how i've always been
0: cool well i'm interested to know then going into photography, finding your niche in that space, did you start to feel like you were fitting in more to a community that you had like a lot of like-mindedness to? Art in particular is something that it's kind of cool to be around people, that even though everyone is so different, there's like this similar love that we're all just kind of like trying to be individuals in that same space. So did you start to feel that as you got deeper and deeper into the art world? Yeah, for sure. I
1: like, it's a very different community, like you said. Um, Especially, I'll talk more about like music because that's usually like the people that I'm around. I'm not around like film or like, it's like a different sector. But um, yeah, I really think being in this creative space has really allowed me to meet some of my like closest friends. Um, I think there's a level of like, I think- because I was always taught to live so rationally and logically art's kind of the opposite like if we all yeah. were like logical and doing the thing that's the most financially stable or doing the thing that's like working like a a, a reasonable amount for how much we're getting paid we would not have picked working in art room, <laughs> yeah. you know like we like that's what be, like working in music and like being on tour and stuff like that like makes it so special to me because i'm surrounded by people who are like we just fucking love what we do and we don't do it for like the glamour god knows we don't do it for the money um and <laughs> it's just like we just are here genuinely connected by this like shared love and interest of something with like the hope of like the lottery like literally like the lottery hitting us and like being able to be one of the like lucky people that gets to do it full time without like a worry that like you won't be able to pay rent um so I think that level it was just kind of a very different type of person um a lot of my friends I even my both my roommates here are in New York are consultants it's like a very different world that I'm in that I'm in and it's like both are extremely valid one is like you have like these step, set steps that you go to and if you work hard at each step and you succeed you'll get a job you'll have a great life and it's a lot of stability and there's a lot of value in that um, and on the other side there's like all my art friends and we're all just like spreading ourselves like everywhere trying to like just make ends meet also just like meet people and hang out like our whole social life and work and everything is just one big like one big community um and there's like the work-life balance doesn't really exist for a lot of us um so I think there's just like two different kind of worlds and I loved being like i have a lot of friends and a lot of people that are really important to me that are in like the more traditional route and then i have my other friends and people i work with that are kind of like represent the other side of me uh so it's really i don't know it's really special i like really have found some of my closest friends since like doing photography
0: I think it's really cool, too, because you have a very unique perspective in that you have your foot in both worlds, and I think a lot of people, like, they don't understand. Well, one, maybe they understand it at a certain point in their life, but to understand it at the same point of your life is really, really interesting and probably (laughs) incredibly hectic, which I (laughs) want to get into all that. But what I really want to know from, like, a logistical standpoint, first off, maybe not even logistical. Let's talk first about just your passion and love for for photography. What you talk about so adamantly is that you and the community that you're surrounded around, you guys do it not for the money, not for the stability, because you truly love it. So where did that love come from and how did it manifest into where you are now?
1: Um, I guess like going back into college. So I think my sophomore year of college, I was like, okay, I was home- Um, for the summer in Kansas and I just had a camera. So I brought it to like a small bar show and like just started taking pictures and then kind of did the whole like beginning where you cold email a bunch of people, like basically just try to shoot whatever show I could. Um, and it really was tied to kind of me loving music so much. Um, I, in high school music was like Oh yeah, like I would like like Justin Bieber and One Direction because like that's what everyone else talked about. But then I like started I started for the first time in my life finding stuff that was like truly mine. When I started just like listening to the, like the music that I actually really liked, so I like dug really deep into like like Led Zeppelin and Radiohead and like like newer like indie bands like Half Fish in the Bottle in 1975 stuff like that. So I like, really really got into music and for my first time in my life, that was something that I found that was just for me. This is something that's really dear. This is something that's really special and like a hub of safety for me that I can always return to. And it's not something related to school. It's not something related to my parents. This is genuinely for me. Um, So when I started shooting concerts more in college, it was like, Like, I was like, there's something that clicked in me. It was so, like, a visceral, like, oh, my God, I love this so much. Um, And I think, like, as I said, like, as a kid, I really wanted to be an artist. But, like, to be frank, I really, like, I'm not that great at at drawing. I'm not that great at dancing. Like, making music, I'm tone deaf. Like, you know, there's, like, a bunch (laughs) of things. I wanted to make art, but I never found the art that I could feasibly get better at and like really it felt like it was my like correct for me so I think like shooting that first concert and like editing those photos like this is a melding of the craft that I want to do and like this world that I love so dearly and at that point I didn't know anything about the music industry so it's still like really glitz and glamour and everything but now after working it it's definitely a little different but that love has never gone away. Like I still get chills every show that I like get to shoot and like really am enjoying the music. It's like that specialness to me has never decreased since then. Um, but it truly was like the first time in my life that I felt like this was something I could get better at. And like, I don't even care if I'm like the best in the world. I just like have so much joy doing it. Um, And it felt so right. So it was just, I like, I can't really describe how it feels, but it was just something I was like, um, I must just keep doing this. Like I just, it wasn't like, there wasn't much thought behind it. It was just like, I want to keep doing this. So I'm going to do everything I can to be able to like do more of this.
0: That's so amazing that you were kind of able to find something like that in life. Cause I think the thing that you said about wanting to be an artist, but not knowing what realm of art you could be good in is probably a feeling that a lot of people have, but it just so happens that you're an exceptional photographer, (laughs) which is like the coolest thing that you did find that one thing that you can excel in. I want to bring it back when you said you were cold emailing people, right? You were just kind of like putting your foot in the door. Logistically, what does that look like? For somebody that's trying to do what you did, start out how you started out, who are you emailing? How are you finding those emails? And like, what was your email template? You're like, Hi, I want to shoot at this concert. Like, please can I come? Like, what was that like? Yeah.
1: Well, I first the first couple of shows I did were like bar shows where you could bring a camera in and there was no restrictions. Um, and then and once I had like a little bit of a portfolio, I like started working for this like really small music magazine in a music publication in Kansas City. And so once that happened, I would just like Go to Facebook and like, go online and find like this band's manager and like, just like try my best and like send a bunch of emails. Be like, hi, like my name is Deanie, like this is my work. Um, I would love to cover this show for blah blah blah. Um, and like just send like, hun- like hundreds. Probably I've probably sent out hundreds of those emails. Um, did I like, hear back from all of them? Absolutely not. Uh, but <laughs> I uh, like that was kind of just how. A lot of people did start out kind of back when I was starting out, even like five, six years ago. Um, I think it is a little bit different now just because with like TikTok and Instagram, there's a lot more like direct contact with artists that you can do. And so I know people who started out just by cold DMing an artist. Um, I was never ballsy enough to do that, but (laughs) I always went to like management or like PR. Um, But... Yeah, like that's definitely like a different route you can take now. Um, So, yeah, it kind of just like was just me literally like I think it was at that time like they usually all the contacts would be on like the band's Facebook page if they were like a smaller band. So usually I would just like email like that PR person. Um, And yeah, that's basically how I started.
0: Really cool. And then at that point, were you getting paid by either the publication or like these artists at all? Or was this just, like, you were just building your portfolio? I was building my portfolio. I didn't know you could get paid. I literally, like,
1: the first three years I shot, didn't know you could get paid. (laughs) Publications don't – the people running the publications are doing this for fun. Like, they're not making any money off this. Um, And, like, I – didn't know you could really get paid. I was like, oh, like maybe it's like the 1% at the top gets paid. But I was like, this is sick. i get got to go to concerts for free. I get to <laughs> take photos and like do this thing that I really love. Like at that point, it was fully just like a hobby. I had like a crazy hyper fixation on Um, in which I've had hobbies like that in the past. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to like feel this out. I've never been much of a planner. So I just kind of like, I'll do it until like that love fades. And this is the first thing probably that like I hyper fixated on and have just still felt as crazy, crazily invested in since like the beginning.
0: That's awesome. So tell us a little bit about that turn then from not knowing that you could get paid doing this cuz you were just like I'm excited to be here like thank you for having me to I can actually make money here and then also how that process worked do you have a team behind you helping you now like is it just you who are you talking to how are you understanding how much you're supposed to get paid all that um it's just me um it's, it is
1: it is just me so I am the one- <laughs> reading all the emails, doing all the socials, doing everything. Um, Hopefully someday I'll have like someone who can just like do emails for me. That would be great. That would be the dream. (laughs) Um, But at this point it's just me. Um, And I guess the transition happened really gradually. Um, It, I also like, as like a preface and like background, I want to acknowledge that it was a immense source of privilege that I was able to do this while being in school because being in school was like not a fallback, but it was like something that I was doing as my full-time thing that I wasn't worried about doing art and making money to like make pay rent or like Mm -hmm. have a job. I had like a whole other thing going at the same time. So this, so I had the space to view photography as a hobby and to do things unpaid. Obviously, I was so poor. I like every I basically didn't spend money on anything. And like the only thing I had to spend money on was camera gear and like getting myself to venues. I remember one time I had a hundred dollars in my bank account and I was shooting rolling loud in the Bay Area and like literally was just scrounging money like to get <laughs> it. Like I was like taking the Greyhound up and taking it back. And I was like, I have a hundred dollars in my bank account right now. If anything goes wrong, like I won't have like I don't don't know what to do. Um, so I've definitely like, I, I never had like just money to like throw around, but I was able to like use whatever resources I had to kind of put all myself into this hobby. But I do think it's a luxury to be able to view art as a hobby. Um, it, once it becomes something that's like your sole source of income or like, even if you're doing it at school, um, getting grades on your art and stuff like that um, can really like take away a lot of that joy from making art. And I've just been very fortunate that I kind of had always had this situation. Um, And the way, I don't know, it just kind of the transition from it being completely a hobby to something that I would get paid for maybe 30% of my gigs to like maybe 60% of my gigs um, was really gradual because it's just, Like, I was shooting so many shows. Like, I was shooting a couple shows a week. And it's getting your name and face and work out there. Basically, it's just, like, you don't know who you're going to cross paths with, who's going to actually love your photos and see them and want to hire you. Um, So, like, once it got to a certain point where instead of me reaching out to shoot a show, it became people started reaching out to me to shoot a show. And usually when that happens is when you can start getting paid. Obviously, there's times where it's, like, a very, like, Starting out like a early brand new artist who didn't have much budget, like it would sometimes just be like a collaboration, just like something that like we did. But like it slowly became instead of like me finding shows I wanted to do or gigs I wanted, would be people coming to me, and it, I think it's truly just a combination of me putting myself like working all the time and like you never know who's going to see your work and lucky people like people i have been very fortunate of like seeing my work and like wanting to take a chance on me and hiring me like that's happened to me so many times um and yeah it was very like slow like a slow transition to me and again back to that point of like I was in no rush to make this a career because I never thought this was going to be a career a and b I had like the backup of like majoring in economics at USC so um it happened eventually where um I guess like by the end of college I was mostly doing paid gigs but that was like three or four three years later after um working like Two or three concerts a week, and like doing like portrait shoots on the side and editorial stuff. Um, so it just kind of like happened. I like don't, I can't really pinpoint exactly um, <laughs> the path that I took. Um, but it is just once people know who you are, it makes it easier for um, you to get paid gigs. And once you have like the cosign of this artist being like, yeah, like I worked with her, recommending me to another artist then it's like much easier to get your foot in the door and you, and it just like webs out after that.
0: That's pretty incredible though, that you have been able to build that network so organically. Like one, I think that definitely speaks to your character because that means that if you were able to make a name for yourself here, right, you're able to expand, you're able to have people reach out to you. People are recommending you over and over again. And I'm wondering Aside from just showing up to these gigs, aside from just like being there always so that people do know your name and know of you and your work, are you utilizing social media in kind of a strategic way to get your work out there and to have it be seen more by artists? Or how are you utilizing that at all? Um. <sighs> Uh, to be frank, I'm honestly not that good at social media. Uh, I <laughs> probably
1: shouldn't say that for all the people who hire me for social media. <laughs> um, like for myself, I think I'm not very good. Like I have thought about doing more TikTok, which I know it's like a great tool. I just don't have – I honestly, I just don't time. have time. So don't really – <laughs> Yeah. Have to use that as a tool. Um, but Instagram has always been like a really important part of uh, my – career just because I've always been very like bullish about like posting I'll basically like post every almost like in the beginning especially I would post every single gig like that I got like the day after like I would be very like disciplined in that not necessarily because I was like oh like this is gonna get like so many likes at that point I had like what like 500 followers you know but um It was really just so that I could, like, this is my body of work. If you come to my page, you can scroll through and, like, I am busy. These are the things that I'm doing. This is work examples. Um, Having a website is very important, I think, for people, like, when they're vetting people to just, like, make you seem legit. But I honestly think, like, most of the people who hire me now, like, just kind of can go go through my Instagram and, like, see who I've worked with in the past and, like, see, like the range of work that I do, like, I'll do video, I'll do touring, I'll do editorial, like, they can see, like, on a glance, um, like, everything that I can offer as, like, someone to hire, and I think that's a really important skill, Um, and I guess I don't really, I was never that strategic, but I do think, like, now thinking back, like, it was very good that I was posting, like, very frequently, like, I was posting, like, once a day or once every other day. And something that I do, like, now that I've, like, done this for so long, I sometimes do feel the urge where, like, we're all perfectionists and, like, you only really want to post, like, your best, best, best work. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, if I did that, I would probably not honestly post as much as I do or did. Um, but I think being okay with stuff that isn't perfect, being out there is also very important because not every gig is going to make you the best work of your life. Um, you can do your absolute best and I can be proud of the work that I did, but I'm going to have the favorite photos I've taken in the year. And like, that's not going to be every single gig I've done. Um, so I think being like softer on yourself and like being willing to like put yourself out there on social media is like a really like helpful thing. in like, using social media as, like, a tool. Um, Obviously, some people have, like, different ways and are also, like, very successful with it, but I found that, like, that really, really helped me, especially in the um, earlier days when I started out.
0: I love that you talk about perfectionism, too, because it kind of makes me wonder, as an artist, and maybe more, like, when you started out a bit more, What the comparison game was for you? Did you kind of view yourself in a way like looking up to other photographers and being like, oh, I wish I could shoot like them? Or was it more like inspiration for you?
1: Um, a lot of inspiration. I guess when I first started, it was really like learning all the technicals, like this is the lenses that you need. And like your aperture has to be X, Y, like this is like the shutter speed that you have to use, blah, blah, blah. Um, two people that I'm like now like real life friends or internet friends with, it's just crazy to me. Um, (laughs) who's, he is Billy Eilish's full-time photographer, but when I was following him, he was on tour with uh, 30 seconds to mars um mm-hmm. and he and todd oh young who now is the staff photographer at the like the jimmy fallon show um they're both like icons to me um both of them publish like blogs about like everything about like how to get into shows how to like shoot shows pit etiquette like literally like being so open and sharing and anti gatekeepy with their knowledge and their legends. They've done this for like literally three times the amount of time that I've done this. <laughs> um, so those are two people that I like really, really looked up to in the beginning um, because it was like something I was like, this is cool. Like they this is possible for them to be like really respected as artists and like trusted at that level to be doing like everything in the world that I've thought was the coolest um but I guess in the beginning like it was a lot of actually photographers like kind of like my level like we were all starting out and it was just like making a lot of friends like we were all figuring it out together so just like having a lot of friends and the and like playing being like oh like I really like like this coloring like I want to like try it like you or like blah 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 it was very very like uh like a tight and small community and um yeah I mean obviously like there's always like the legends that I really looked up to and be like, Oh, like I would love to do art like that someday. And like a lot of sources of inspiration that are so diverse and like, just so like, I was like, wow. Like they're like the concert photography can be, it's like, it can be very static, but it can also be like, so emotive. And there's so many ways to convey the show from like different perspectives. Um, So, yeah, I mean, the imposter syndrome was crazy. Like, I was always like, yeah, my work's never going to reach that point. Um, I still feel like that. I still see work, and then I'm like, oh, my God, like, that. that is a legend. (laughs) That is so cool. Um, I don't even know how they did that. Um, But, yeah, I guess in the beginning, it was just, like, because I never, like, really – I wasn't thinking too strategically about anything during (laughs) – It was just like, oh, yeah, like, these are just really cool people I look up to. And, like, hopefully someday I can do art like that or, like, but it was just, like, a lot of learning and just, like, I don't know, taking it day by day and, like, learning from each gig.
0: Really cool. With that learning and kind of the ever-changing nature of art, how have you seen your style change from where you started to where you are now? And do you see it kind of in a transition phase right now? Or more in like a, I know what my, I want my style to be right at this moment.
1: Um, No, I honestly have no fucking clue. Um, <laughs> if you look at my work, like I've kept a lot of my work, old work. It's like, I've gone through so many eras of like different styles, just depending on like who I'm feeling really inspired by at the moment. Or like what, like what I'm shooting at the moment. Um, I used to be like a lot more like bright and like, like I like more like that traditional type of like, when I was shooting a lot more like influencers and like, I started out doing like a lot of work with like YouTubers and stuff like that. Um, so it used to be a lot more like bright and like the colors were like this specific way. But like, I think I've moved towards finding more of like a style that's true to me, which is like a lot more like dark and a little bit more like edgy. Um, but I really have no idea. I feel like I'm (laughs) in the transition stage. I've never, been extremely sure of my art I think I'm fair I'm absolutely always learning because I'm still not creating like the work that I think that I will be I'm still I'm not still 100 not happy with like where my skill is and my art is and I think like that's a great way to view it I don't think I'll ever reach that point. Um, I think honestly, when I started out, I felt more sure of like what I wanted. And now <laughs> the more I've shot and the longer I've been work- as a photographer, I've become less sure of what my style is and what I want and less happy with the final product.
0: That's a mark of a true artist, Dini. I feel like that's like, that's a standard. No one's really like, <laughs> No one's happy with exactly where it is. But I think that's great that it's still like a forever transition stage is probably better for your art anyway, you know, like being able to try new things and all of that. But I am interested because you talked about the imposter syndrome, not feeling like you're good enough or where you want to be or whatever it is. When you see your work on things like Pitchfork, for instance, like I follow you on Instagram. So I see a lot of your work. I see like where it goes out. I see the publications that pick it up, all that stuff. One, I just kind of want to know logistically, do the publications have to reach out to you to use your images or is that through the artist? And then two, what is that feeling like seeing a publication that is a music-centric publication, one that you probably followed previous to ever getting into photography, seeing your work? Tell me, tell me what that feels like.
1: Uh yeah, I mean, logistically it's usually like if I work it if I'm working for whatever client like uh, like, for example, like MSG, like, they basically just keep that bank of photos and they can send it out to publications to use for press. And then for artists on the end, like, they'll have that bank that I've worked with them and, like, they um, can send it out to publications. And usually it's, like, whatever contract I'm signing, like, the rights have been passed along in that sense. Um, and I guess that's the feeling. Like, it's so really surreal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Um, every time, they still really cool. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's definitely like one of those things where like when it happens, I usually, when it happens, I'm already so sleep deprived from like whatever show, like, like the boy genius gig that I just shot, That like it went on a lot of sites. I was like, I slayed up that whole night editing those pictures. So by the time things were coming out the next day, I was like, like a little twitchy and just not really processing anything um usually it takes me like a couple honestly like a couple weeks for me to like look back and be like oh like this happened um it's still very surreal it still doesn't feel comfortable uh it's still just like i don't know
0: how i got here i'm very 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 lucky um we are also very, very, very talented. Let me just point that out. It's not just luck, you guys.
1: We are very kind. But, I mean, luck does play a big part of it. Um, so I will never, like, not recognize that. Um, but, yeah, I still, I'm still very grateful for, like, everything. Everybody who, like, decides to use my work and, like, gets out there. Like, that's really cool. And, like, I'm honestly not precious about, like, people posting it and things getting posted everywhere, I'm like, as long as it's like getting used, like, and people are like seeing it, it's it's, like out there. Like, that's so cool to me. Um, Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, I want to talk about the sleep deprivation. I want to talk about the exhaustion. And where I want to start with that is I want to talk about festivals. Okay. Because I know you have shot a lot of festivals. And like I said, I follow you on Instagram. So whenever you are shooting festivals, I see that you are just go, 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 go all the time. What is that like? What is the festival scene like as a photographer? Where do you sleep? Do you sleep? Tell us about that. Um, it really depends. So, if
1: I'm working for like in house, we have like a trailer that we go back to and we edit between sets. So, we'll all shoot a couple songs at this, dash back to the trailer, edit, upload, next set. Like, it's kind of like this every day I'm just going back and forth, back and forth. Um, when I'm working for an artist or multiple artists on a festival, then it's like a little bit different because I'm like, there's I don't really have like a home base other than like maybe like the artist trailer and something like that. But, um, But then I'm, like, with the artist for, like, pre-show and, like, the actual show and then after and press. And, like, there's a lot more involved with that. Um, And then sometimes I'll go to festivals as press where I'm, like, working for, like, ones to watch or something like that where I'm just, like, covering sets. And the turnaround usually is all, like, next day. So it all kind of depends, like, who I'm working for. Um, But not a lot of sleep happens, especially working um with like publications or artists where the turnarounds next day um when i'm working in-house it's actually a little better because we edit on site so then i'll get most of the editing done the night like the day off, and then at night i can get home and just finish up like whatever like random stuff is left over and turn that in and then um get like a couple hours of sleep but usually when i'm working like press especially when i'm shooting like eight artists a day and then i have the turnaround around during the next day before the next day of the festival it's like pretty rough to fit in any sleep um and i think it's like i also feel like it's very specific to me a, lo- a lot of photographers do this we're like we're all like pretty sleep deprived at on festivals in general um just because you're it's every it's like the whole day is from like what noon to 10 PM. So it's like 10 hours of music, um, to cover. Um, but I think I in particular am like a slower editor than most people. So it does take me longer, um, to like get the photos to like where I want them to be. Um, and I'm like, I feel like I understand like the limits of my body. And I know that I can function on like this little sleep and still like be okay. Um, but that's, like, very specific to my body, and, like, I know how much to push it. Um, so, like, that's – I think that's, like, something I've gained through working all these years is, like, knowing what my limit is physically and, like, being able to push it to to that point or, like, just beyond that. Um, but I'm, like, very cognizant of, like, what my actual physical limits are. Um, and I think it's just something you have to learn. Um, everyone's very different, so I like can't actually give like actual advice. Um, and my advice and how I live at during festivals is so heinous that I don't actually <laughs> want anyone
0: else to be living. You're like, like that. it's not
1: healthy. Please do be do what I do. <laughs> it's really not healthy. I like have. I joke that I have like this theory as to why I never got COVID. Like I and I know I never got COVID because. In 2021, I 2020, I 2020 I was living in the dorms at mm-hmm. NYU. So we were testing every week to enable to go to school, and I was still like doing gigs. Once everything opened up, I was doing gigs and everything, and I just never got COVID. It was crazy, um, and I was like, Wild. and I was like, I'm pretty sure it just the COVID got to my body and was like. Uh, nah like this is a waste
0: she has way too much to deal with already like let's not bring no it's now. like it's like there's no food it's just like, celsius and like <laughs> what okay this is where chemicals. the this is where the luck comes in this is where the luck comes in you got <laughs> definitely very lucky there
1: <laughs> yeah and it was like ah oh, this is not a hospitable environment <laughs> I don't want to. Be there. so yeah i wouldn't recommend how i live to anyone else but um it's very much like You you know your own limits, and you can push yourself to that point.
0: Hilarious. Okay, well, I want to talk about something that is probably one of the most interesting things probably for people to hear, which is tour. Because, I mean, obviously, it's insanely cool that you've been able to have the opportunities that you've been able to have, again, watching it from afar. It just seems like a whirlwind, and I want to know all about it. Okay, so you went on Max's Living Color Tour, (laughs) The Girl in Red. Make It Go Quiet Tour, Olivia Rodrigo, Sour Tour, Against the Currents, the Nightmares and Daydreams Tour. It's insane. It really is so cool. And I want to know, one, how have these tours been different from one another? What are some standout moments from them? And how it came to be for each one of them? Um, Yeah, I...
1: And I guess the most recent one I just got off like two months ago was uh, I was with the, the band Lawrence um, on the right. Jonas Brothers, the tour. Um, so, so fun so, so cool. So funny to me. Um, <laughs> so yeah. cool. um, I guess the first tour, I like forever am so grateful to Max and team. Like that was I met Max on a shoot of like an editorial for like a magazine, and they loved the photos. We stayed in touch, and ever since then he'd like hired me for a bunch of stuff, and like we have gotten really close with that whole crew. Like I've spent the past two Thanksgivings with his family, and like I'm like just like that is truly like some of the people I love like so much in this world um and he in particular he's like he has been in the industry since he was a kid like has done acting and singing like from like when he was like literally like a child um so he's like seen a lot of the bs in the industry and like he's so like he's like a veteran in this world so he i think is really able to like view at it in a view it in a very healthy way and in that sense also like find creatives that he believes in that are really early in your career and he, like, takes a chance on them. And I was one of those people that he, like, just, like, took a chance on. I was like, yeah, like, want to come to Sacramento for this, like, music video shoot that we're doing or, like, blah, blah, blah. Um, And when he asked me to go on tour, like, that was, like, the first tour I ever got asked to go on. And obviously, like, touring in itself is very, like, insular. So once you get... On one tour, the cruise and stuff, everything overlaps. It's much easier to get on other tours. Um, And especially touring is like, I say it's like basically like all these people are your family. For This is like, these are your roommates. These are your travel companions. And I think like you could be best friends with someone, but you could live horribly together and you could travel horribly (laughs) together are so like I think the highest tests of friendship so true <laughs> um, and like that's literally what tour is you're spending every single second you have very little alone time we're literally in bunks like above each other like spending like every second with each other so a big part of it beyond like being able to do good work is like being someone that they want to hang out with and like having, and being someone who's like cool and like willing to help out and like, like kind of like that type of person um, is very important to touring in general. Um, So I think like get, that's why being asked to go on tour is so hard, especially in the beginning if you don't know any artists personally, because a lot of artists will just bring, like, a friend on tour because that's so much more comfortable than, like, bringing, like, a random person that, like, they don't even know. Will they travel well together? Will they, like, live well together? You know? You're spending so much time with them. Um, so, yeah, Max asked me to go on tour. It was supposed to start May 2020. Obviously... I graduated then, world shut down. I was devastated. I was like, this is a sign from the gods that like maybe this photography thing isn't for me. Um, (laughs) Like literally, I think sunk in like such a deep depression once like I was in law school and like trying to do, um, like trying to just pass 1L. And I was like knowing that like my alternate universe was that I was supposed to be on tour at that same time. Um, so that tour ended up happening. I ha- ended up hopping on the East Coast States when on the rescheduled dates, like the very much like abridged version of that tour. And then, um, I guess, so the girl in red, Olivia's tours were with this, artist Holly Humperstone. She just released her debut album and she's like one of my best friends. So you should listen. Um, Everyone go check it out. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone go check it out. Um, I will shove her music down everyone's throat. She's so talented and just genuinely like so wonderful. And uh, like an artist I truly respect. Um, But that literally was just a cool DM. Um, Her manager like found me through someone and I hopped on FaceTime with her management. Then hopped on a FaceTime with her just to see if like we would get along. Um, we ended up like getting along on that call. And then, uh, yeah, they like, were like, yeah, we'll have you out for like the first three weeks, see how it is. And like, maybe we'll extend you to like the Olivia run if everything goes well. So it, it went well. So then I did both back to back, took, I think three days off in the middle. Cause I had to go back and take my finals. And then I went back on tour again on the second leg um and then against the current I met them for two one-off gigs in New York so when their like photographer couldn't make it on the past run he like reached out to me um and was like hey like would you be free to do this run um so hopped on that and then Lawrence. Most recently I toured with them because I've like worked with them for like a couple years now. I've done a bunch of gigs with them and really close with that band. Um, and they were like, yeah, come on tour with us for um, like for this month. Um, Cause I had to start my job so I could, I had to leave after the first month. Um, but yeah, every tour has been really wonderful. I've been very lucky to have like very warm, kind chill people to tour with um I think it's not always like that I've heard horror stories from other photographers of tours that just aren't that aren't that way um but I have been very lucky every touring group has definitely a different personality um and it's fun to see like kind of like what it's like um but yeah I've been very lucky every every tour I've been on has been with some people that I I'm very fortunate to like call friends. So, and like we talk all the time. And yeah, it's great.
0: That's so incredible. And I know that every single one of these is, is so different. The people on each of them are so different. But what is kind of a general, very general day in the life like on tour?
1: So, I would say the photographer or videographer perspective is usually very different from everyone else. Um, it can be very isolating because your schedule is basically flipped from everyone else. Um, so we get to the venue, i.e., morning load-in happens, and that's like the crew or whatever band's like helping load in with load-in, and then they have blah blah blah. Probably like s- they're setting up. We go to the green room, sound check happens. Then there's like that break between sound check and like the actual gig. Like there's like probably like dinner, or something that's happened. To that maybe some portraits. Like on my end, um, show happens. Then they load, like, whoever's loading out loads out. And then, like, that's kind of where my night begins. It's like, after everything's done, then it's kind of like my time to sit down with my scanner, scanning Polaroids or like editing pictures, like doing, I don't know, TikToks, contents, whatever I need to be doing that day. Um, and kind of rinse and repeat. That's kind of like my daily schedule. Um, I can usually, on tour, I usually sleep in quite like, a bit more because I'm not really useful until, like, the later afternoon. Um, And, yeah, that's kind of just, like, whatever my schedule is. Or, like, if I'm helping with, like, posting or, like, doing whatever in the morning, like, sometimes I'll get up early in the morning to help with whatever needs to be done. Um, But, yeah, that's kind of, like, my daily life. It's just you get to the venue. I don't know if you'll see the city. You do your work. You get back on the (laughs) bus. And off the next city
0: Go, go, go Okay, so we do have to talk about the fact That while you're on tour Like you mentioned You are still in law school at this time, right? So one, tell us You mentioned, okay, NYU You went to NYU Law School Congratulations that you're like done Now at least with that part of the, (laughs) the process But tell me what that's like Because we talked about You have a very unique perspective That I don't think a lot of concert photographers are simultaneously in law school. Could be wrong. I have no idea. (laughs) But it seems like that's a really hectic lifestyle. How are you able to make the time? And you said you're not a huge planner, but how are you kind of scheduling things in so that you can manage both and make it so that you can graduate pass the bar, get a job in law. Like these are incredible accomplishments. How do you do that? Oh, it? Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, it's almost like
1: a whirlwind. Like I don't feel like I yeah. just, like, like, just it's just happening. Like I don't really, <laughs> like it's still very crazy to me. Um, Yeah, the, it was crazy. I was talking to the band, the Lawrence band, right before I went on that tour recently. And I was like, this is the first time in my life I'm going to work as a photographer, content person, whatever, full time. Like I, this is the first time I'm not writing essays in the middle of the night. I'm not like studying. I'm not like, I don't have school that I have to do, Um, which was amazing. It was such a cool experience. I feel like I actually got some sleep this run, uh, which was amazing. Um, And not feeling like I'm being pulled two different ways. Um, But yeah, I guess, doing like music or music photography locally or touring um it it does work like timing wise better than you would think because I was just very conscious that all the classes that I would book like classes for school that I would take would be earlier in the day so that I would be done by early afternoon most days um and then obviously like I was working heavily in live music. Um, so any live gig isn't going to start till like 8 PM. So, um, then it like the timing wise, it actually works pretty well. Um, just definitely ends up burning the candle at both ends a little bit. Um, because I'll have a gig from like what, eight to 10, get home, edit from like, I don't know, eat dinner, edit from, like, 11 to, like, 3, and then, like, hopefully be done by then. If not, I'll sleep till, like, 7, edit in the morning before I send it out, and then go to class. Like, that was kind of, like, my daily work. Um, I was a big fan of the midday nap. i get home from class and, like, take a nap from, like, 3 to 5. Like, that was my, that was my bread and butter. That kept me alive. <laughs> <lot>. um, <laughs> uh, and then on tour... I, I think the roughest part was I, there was a portion where I was in the West Coast and I because I scheduled all my classes for 8:30 a.m. in New York, I was all of the classes I was going to was at 530 in the morning. Um, so I would like finish a gig at I don't know 11, get up in the morning to do my lectures um like three or four hours of lecture finish that lecture people probably weren't usually awake until like 11 so I could probably edit in the morning after lecture slash during lecture (laughs) um but um (laughs) yeah so I would like find ways to like make it work and like make whatever scheduling um fit in my life um and I yeah I'm saying I'm not much of a planner but I know I think I've like gotten to the point where I'm very good at time blocking out my time. So I'll know, I have like the hard things I have to do. So I have class today. I have a test today. I have this essay to today. That's on my calendar. I have a gig today. I have to be here at the time that will be on my calendar. Everything else is like really being flexible in your life. Um, I don't really schedule anything else. Like, If I have social plans for the weekend, like that's always like a soft hold because I never know what gig is going to come up or like what other commitment that's going to come up. And I think that's probably one of the rougher things about like this life is not necessarily like fitting everything in because I've done it for so long that I'm like, I know like what I can do and what the bandwidth I have is, but it is just accepting that nothing else in my life is concrete. So like I can't, I haven't been able to plan a vacation or anything for so long because I just don't have time. And I like never know like, oh, like if this gig comes up, like I can't, I would much rather do that gig than like go on this vacation, you know? But it is something that you have to give up um, or that I've given up in order to do both is just that these are like the hard definite that I've committed to. I've had these commitments to my school or I have this commitment to this client that I've like locked in and I'm going to do both. But everything else has to be flexible and has to move and shift in order to make room for this.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's really like you are prioritizing this life. You're prioritizing the thing that you love over like, vacation over free time, over any of that, did you always know that you were going to be going to law school? Like, was this, like, a non-negotiable for you? Or was it that when that max tour didn't end up happening when it was initially supposed to, that's when you were like, okay, I, I'm just going to go into law?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was one of those kids where my parents were like, yeah, the things you can do, doctor, lawyer, accountant, <laughs> yeah. as a I guy, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I – like, for a while, I thought I was going to be a pharmacist because I, I was like, I like chemistry. Okay. But then I took AP Chem in high school, and I was horrible at it. I was like, oh, no, I cannot <laughs> do it. Um, so basically, the only non-STEM thing that was an option that was offered to me um, was law. So... I think like, and also being pre-law is like pretty easy. All you have to do is like declare pre-law, but there's no required classes you have to do or anything. It's just, you get into law school based on a combination of 80% your LSAT um, score and then 20% your grades basically. So it's like very much like you can kind of do whatever the hell you want in undergrad as long as your LSAT score is high and as long as your grades are good, you can get into a pretty good law school. Um, so like, that was just kind of like always like an higher plan that I like knew, like this was an option. Like I like took the LSAT, like I had everything prepped to go to law school by the junior um, college, but I was like, as a side quest and like very, like not to my parents' knowledge, I was like, no, I really wanted to make this photography thing, like maybe a career. Like if I can, like, why not take this chance? Um, So when I'd gotten into... Law school is like early. I'd gone into law school and heard about tour around the same time, so I was like, oh, "Like this is a crossroads I've come up to." Um, so I had a compromise with my parents, and I was like, "You know, I'm gonna try out this tour thing. I'm gonna work at a coffee shop or something during the day. Like I'll make things work. I don't. I want to be financially independent. Like I can make this work, but just like let me try." Like, this is such a small portion of, like, photographers or music photographers that ever get to do this. Um, and I, like, this is my dream. Like, I really want to try it. So when the pandemic happened, and obviously, like, that was no longer a possibility, um, my parents were like, like, what are you going to do? Like, I didn't have a job. Like, I could have done, like, consulting or something or, like, got, like, just a job. But, like, that was, it was so late in the game. It was, like, March twenty. 20- 20, you know, it was like
0: mm-hmm.
1: all jobs that I was like possibly qualified for as an economics, I added a double major in communications later on, were probably not hiring or like it was like pretty bleak because of pandemic and everyone was like really Yeah struggling. So the best thing that I could do is I took back my deferral and like just didn't waste that year. My parents were like, just don't waste that year, like go to law school. Um so went to law school I fully was planning on like taking a leave after the first year um but it just the way the pandemic like timed out and the way law school is is like after the first year it's really hard to take time off because of how like hiring works and how like all like all the classes and everything like works out so, um, just found, then I just ended up finding a way to like do both, um, while I was in law school. Um, they literally tell you you're not allowed to have a job, um, when you're supposed to have a job in law school, cause it's supposed to be a full-time job. Um, you showed them. I, yeah, I showed them. <laughs> um, it was nice to have. Honestly, like, a little bit of extra income coming in when I was, like, going to a very, very expensive school. Like, I was on scholarship, but still, there's a lot of expenses on top of that. Um, And, yeah, I found ways to make it work. Um, I think the first year, the first year, I 2020 was still, like, all locked down. So, I didn't really get to start getting gigs till later on from then. Um, So, 1L, I actually didn't work very much at all, which I think helped me get through 1L, which is notoriously really difficult. But
0: yeah,
1: we all are like a little bit better. So I was able to kind of find more balance there.
0: When you, I guess, decided to go to NYU, like, I don't know what other schools you applied to if you applied to any other ones. But did you do that specifically so that you would be in New York? And do you feel like as a photographer, it's more impactful for you to be there? Yeah, I knew. So I knew I loved New York.
1: I was a marketing intern, like, in 2019 at Ralph Lauren in New York. So I, like, spent a summer in New York, loved it, like, really, really loved the city. So I was like, if I'm going to move, if I'm going to go to law school, I'm going to go to a cool city. Like, I'm, like, I basically <laughs> went to college to, like, move to LA, you know? Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to do this again and go to um, – go to a big city because I was like if I'm not going to be able to do photography full time I might as well be around things that make me less miserable and have the opportunity to be around music um and I was really torn I was between like UCLA USC law and like staying in LA and like staying where all my previous clientele were like I this is like my network was in LA I didn't know anyone in music prior to this starting my job, starting photography. So I was like, like, shit, if I move to New York, will I even get work after? Like, I was like, I don't know, but it is like a better, it is a higher chance just because it is another big city. Um, so when I was planning on deferring, I actually had committed to Columbia law. And because they actually have a policy where you can defer your first year and they'll defer your scholarship. But no other school that I was like considering at that time like did that. But once I found out I wasn't deferring, I was like, I don't want to be in upstate, like <laughs> way up like Upper West Side in New York. I was like, I'm going to go to NYU, which is like downtown and close to everything. And it was the better law school. So my parents were like for it compared to like US. UCLA so they were like go just go do that um so it was like a really good compromise for us but I remember moving to New York and being like this is probably like the end of my photography career because I don't I will no longer have the same bandwidth to hustle like I did when I started out in LA and I like just didn't know anyone um and I was like, OK, I'm like, I'm sure I can still do it as a hobby here and there, but it probably like I'll have to start from scratch, essentially. Um, but I think, yeah, I was like still like I needed to be just in a big city. I knew I needed to be in like a major music hub um, for me to stay sane. So whether or not that affected how much work I was getting, like I knew it would have to be New York or L.A.
0: Well, I think you definitely made the right decision because you (laughs) showed yourself too that you could do it and that you kind of, again, like had the tenacity to keep going and pursue both at the same time. And I know now you are a law associate, but I'm wondering because I think it was a tweet that I saw from you or something recently that said, and I'm quoting you, someday I hope I get to make art as my full-time job. Yeah. So I'm really interested to know that I know that you have this job. You went through the whole process of being able to get it. But what does it look like now for you? Like, how do you feel like you're going to go full-fledged into one? Do you think you're going to continue to straddle the line? What's the future kind of look like for Dini? (laughs) Yeah.
1: um, I don't know. I think um, uh – Art, I think, is forever going to be, like, where my heart is, and that's, like, really, like, my greatest passion, and I will work myself to the ground to, like, say I tried everything to make it a possibility, um, and I think I will continue to do that, regardless of if I'm working as a lawyer or not, um, but, yeah, it's weird because I think there's been multiple points of my life that I've been like, this crossroads is happening and I'm going to have to pick. It happened when I graduated undergrad. It happened when I started law school. It happened when I graduated law school. Like there's so many things times where I was like, shit, like this is going to be the time that I can't just be like not noncommittal and just like keep doing both. Um, And honestly, like I think It does, there is like a cost. There is going to be an opportunity cost on both ends. I'm never going to be the lawyer that, like the best lawyer that I could be because I have this other half. And I think that I have, because I have to devote so much time to school and work and law stuff, that's like valuable time that I could be honing and expanding my craft as a photographer. Um, That is a sunk cost that I have like never been able to really fully take advantage of so it's not like I'm just doing both of these like fully like I think that there is like definitely like a cost that would have been avoided if I just picked one earlier on Mm -hmm. um and I would say like that's probably like the most efficient thing like that's like my logical side coming out um but I think like now living through the life that I've been and Going through these crossroads multiple times and anticipating them, and it just not happening and just getting delayed and deferred to a later date, and me still being able to do both to some degree, um, has really taught me that like I'm just going to play it day by day. Um, when that hard crossroads happens, and it probably will be soon. It probably, like frankly, will be soon. When my work as a associate at this law firm picks up. It's, it's going to be, like, crazy hours every week. And, like, yeah. that's something that I'm very cognizant of. Like, that's, like, 90, 100-hour weeks are, like, very normal. Um, and that's, like, nowhere near how much school or whatever has ever taken me um, time-wise. So I know, like, time is going to really get compacted this year. Um, so that crossroads probably is coming up. So I don't know where it's going to be. I think I know that I want – art to be my full time job and I hope that is in the cards for me someday. But I also am like very cognizant of the fact that I come from like I don't come from money and I'm, like I'm now the only income stream in my family basically. Both my parents are like retired. Um my dad literally waited for me to graduate so he could retire. So he like mm. didn't know about me. So um my parents are like very, very, very important to me. And I want to be someone like not only if I did art as a living and I could do it now, I think like really, and maybe pick up like a side job and just do this. I could support myself, but if something goes wrong or like something, my family needs money, I don't think I would be able to like step up and be that person. And like, that's something that's, really important to me and that also on top of like I have some loans that I'm trying to pay off this year um leftover from law school and I want to be able to do that with this law job as like that a lot of people take jobs like these just so that it can you can just like quickly pay off those loans so I want to be able to, like start my art career when or if it happens fully like debt free and with like a level of comfort that if so like, I can be that fallback for my parents in which, like, they've been for me this long in my life, even though, like, maybe I didn't want to go to law school. I didn't really want to, like, study economics in college. But, like, I did those things, and my parents, like, pushed me to do those things so that they would have peace of mind that I would be self-sufficient and, like, independent um, on my own. So, like, I do think I owe it to them to find a way to like make them not worry about me. Um, If it was just me, yeah, I don't care if I'm a starving artist. Like I would probably figure it out. And I have a lot of friends who like are so much braver than me and like have fully committed to the art thing. And I have so much respect for them. Um, But I just feel like that fallback, like having a cushion and having some level of like security not just for me, but like as an only child to my parents is like very important. And that's like not talked about as much and um, like being art artist and like, cause we just, it's like very visceral. We just want to do it all time. But like, there is just like real reality and like real life that you have to take into account sometimes.
0: Yeah, I love so much that you're speaking about this. And I think that it doesn't necessarily have to do with bravery of the sense of just like taking the leap to fully commit to the art career, I think that what you're saying about supporting your parents, being the only child, having them just have retired, you having student loans, like all these things are very real things that you're absolutely correct. We don't talk about it enough specifically in this space because that's not glamorous. Like it's not glamorous to need to pay for things. It's not glamorous to have loans, you know, but there is a sense of – practicality that I feel like I kind of feel like it's going to help you in a sense. Do you think that photography is just a young person's game? And I ask that because I think there are many mediums of art that distinctly are. And I don't know that photography is. I understand that maybe it's like you need to continue to build momentum so that you can continue to work on your craft, continue to have... You know more context in the industry, things like that. But I think about photographers, which I mean, not in the concert photography space, but in the fashion photography space. Like Annie Leibovitz, for instance, she's been in the game forever. Do you feel like there's a world where, after yes, like you said, after you gain that stability, after you have like a better place financially and stably that you're wanting to have, that you would re-enter that world full time? Yeah,
1: I mean, I hope it's sooner rather than later.
0: Yeah. Um, I
1: don't think photography is a young person's game. Um, But I do think that there's twofold, like, two elements of this. Touring is not a young person's game because a lot of people are a lot older than me that tour. But I do think it is to the detriment of having, like, like a life in any sense it can be very disruptive like maintaining relationships and friendships and like everything when you're on the road is very very difficult and it's very physically draining like it's very tough on the body um it's definitely like probably much easier when you're younger and like my goals now are like, I don't really care. I'm not tethered to anything. I'm like happy to tour, but I don't know where I'm going to be in 10 years. And like, if I want to be out of the house eight months of the year, you know, um, a, and then B, I do think that even though it isn't a young person's game, the momentum is very, very important. Um, I, am very cognizant that I'm easily replaceable photographers are where well, there's so many talented people out there. And the second I start slowing down and I'm just no longer top of mind for people for when they're thinking of people to hire, uh, it's going to be harder to get jobs. So it's like once you, I think that's why there is pressure in this world to just like keep working all the time, because the second you slow down, and people like start forgetting about you because there's other talented people that are also there, it's gonna be harder to get jobs. And it's like a very momentum based career. And it's like taking advantage of that momentum is like very important. And I think even if you slow down for a little bit and try to pick it back up, then there's still like the hurdle of trying to build that momentum again. And it just seems like wasted time.
0: Yeah and, starting not to over. Mention,
1: yeah. and not to mention like, like just practice, like the practice of like working all the time and like getting better at your craft is so valuable. Um, and I think like, it's not necessarily in that sense, like a young person's thing, but I would say like, I'm still pretty young now and I feel like I've been lucky that the momentum's good now. And I like maybe in 10 years, like if I had the same momentum that I had in 10 years, Yes, like it would it would be probably be the same, but I just don't know if I would be able to like build that after like having the momentum now, if that makes
0: sense. For sure. Do you feel like there is a more manageable element of photography that you're trying to get into more like build up because I know that you have done editorial photography. I saw that you just did a shoot. So, I guess talk about that a little bit. Is there is there a way maybe that it could be easier to do both.
1: Yeah. I mean, I definitely want to move more into like editorial and album artwork and single artwork and more conceptually heavy stuff. That's like more of like a lot more planning involved and a lot more like concepting and creative direction in it. Um, I love doing like creative direction and concepting and working with like artists and like turning an idea to like a concept into like the actual final product. I think that's so fun to me and that's something I really have loved doing more recently. Um, and that is probably like a more manageable type of photography because your, the turnaround is not same night next day. Um, so as an objective thing, it's like, you get two more weeks to edit, which is just like (laughs) gold. Amazing. Right. Uh, like that's crazy to me. Um, and people I think with that, like it's way more easy to balance like your life and sleep and like you can book things that are like way higher paying like a couple weeks in advance. So you have like an idea of like kind of what your month is going to look like, um, because with like freelancing now where I'm doing like one off gigs like this photographers are like the last thing they hire and the last thing that's like logistically like we don't add anything to the logistics we're just something that like you hire to bring on at the end um mm-hmm. so I won't find out about a gig until like I, it's happened to me multiple times day of day before week before you know all the tours I've been on I think I found out I was going like usually around two weeks before like you're packing up your entire life in two weeks get ready wild. um <laughs> So I think it's like being that kind of like on ready to go, like on, the, on your, the balls of your feet, like ready to go, ready to change your schedule, ready to cancel things is like something that is very specific to a lot of the work I'm doing now. Um, and I think that, yeah, if I were eventually to hopefully do this as like a full-time job, I would want to find more of a balance of like, long-term projects that I really get to like dive in creatively and the short-term gigs like concerts that I still like love so dearly um and it's much more of like you take what you can get when you show up and it's very exciting and it's very like to me it's like it's really fun like every day it's like a new problem that you have to solve like how am I gonna do this um Versus, like, this long-term thing where I can be, like, this is exactly what I want this image to look like. And here are, like, steps A, B, C, D that I can do to, like, get to that point. Uh, So it's, like, a very different part of the brain and, like, process of both. Um, And I'm hoping to eventually, like, get a better balance of the two for sure.
0: Really cool. Well, is there a dream artist that you would want to shoot? Do you have somebody that's just, like, a bucket list? Um. I don't know. I think it's strange because there's artists like
1: like I Radiohead is like one of the most important bands to me and I like shot their side project The Smile recently and like that was like one of like ugh, like the biggest bucket list things for me. So cool. Um but it isn't like I think it was it's not like the most exciting thing for me to shoot creatively. Um, so I, like, I love shooting more of like a glitzy, like pop act or like a more like high energy, like grunge, like, you know, I, like, I like shooting a lot of things that not necessarily were like artists that like changed my life, but like, I really respect as like artists and performers and talents. Um, and I think now that I've done this for so long, I never have a good answer for like a dream artist to work for because to me, What really, really, really matters is, like, the personal relationship you have with the artist. Like, I think I've created some of my best work with Holly and with Lawrence because, like, those are genuinely some of my, like, really, really, really good friends that I love dearly. And, like, I think I do my best work when there's just a natural connection between the artist and myself. And it's more of, like, a collaborative space than just, like like, I'm working, like, I'm just, like, this person working for them, and, or, like, someone doing, like, all the creative, and, like, they don't really care, so I think, like, eventually, like, my dream is to just have, like, an artist that I could work with, like, basically full-time, and work with them, like, as, like, a collaboration, and just, like, be really good friends, and really respect each other as creatives, and see eye to eye, like, aesthetically, and, like, that be my, like, job and like that'd be the person I'd be working with mostly because I like it doesn't matter like if this person's really famous or if this person's really iconic if you don't get along with them yeah probably just not going to be that special and you can probably feel it in like the final product so I guess like that's my long-winded answer of saying like I don't really <laughs> have but I do if I ever shoot Radiohead I will pass away and die <laughs> um, but like I think, like, now that I've, like, seen what type of work that I can make and, like, worked with so many people, um, that matters to me, like, so much more than, like, exactly, like, who the artist is themselves.
0: No, I love love that and I love how community-centric it is and I think it's something that's kind of – for many people that I've had on this podcast, it's a very similar situation of the people that you're around, the community that you form, no matter what job it is – that's sort of the most important thing. Because at the end of the day, whatever the work is, it's like we're we're humans, we're people. We need that kind of connection and we need to be able to get along in order for things to work as well as they possibly could. I do need to ask you, because if there's a new photographer out there that is listening to this and it was like, I want to do what Dini does, can you just tell us like a camera that you would suggest to them to start off? Yeah, Um I started off, like, I started off on a Canon T3,
1: which is, like, this, like, 12-megapixel camera, which is crazy, because my iPhone now is, like, what, 20 megapixels? Like, that blows my mind. Um, But the first, like, camera upgrade that I was, like, very, um, like, purposeful, like, I did a bunch of research and, like, really, like, picked a camera that's good for live stuff and, like good for video and good for kind of all things was the sony a6000 which i think honestly is discontinued now but it's like a very solid like uh like crop sensor like it's like it was like 500 when i bought it it was like very like reasonable like you can save up and you can get like a pretty good camera um you can get probably just look up like cameras that are similar to that and like that will definitely like get you kind of in that ballpark and if you're willing to spend like a little bit more money one the second body that i've used for years now is the sony a7ii um and that's a full frame it's a little bit more money but it is like a full frame and then you will have all like the gear for like your future upgrades um but both those cameras have been like I used the a6000 for like the first couple years that I was shooting like that $500 camera, like a $200 lens. And I shot like basically everything on that in the beginning. Um, it's very possible to just use there's the technology's gotten better now. Honestly, you probably get a way better camera for like cheap, cheaper
0: or the same price now. Um,
1: but yeah, something in that ballpark, if you just want to dip your toe in, I think is a really solid choice.
0: Okay, perfect. And one other thing that I just want to ask, because you have been doing this for a while, like you are ingrained in this industry, what is something that you feel like one needs to change a little bit, whether that be like representation, whether that be, you know, like helping lift each other up in certain ways, whatever it may be, something that needs to change. And then also something that you think that this industry is doing so right that other industries can maybe take from.
1: Hmm. That's a really good question. I think something that does need to change, but I do see it's changing, is, like, more representation. There is, since the beginning that I've shot, even, in the past five years, and I've talked to people who've, like, shot for, I don't know, like, 20 years, the diversity in photo pits has, like, really increased since. Like, there's so many more women um, and so many more people of color, so many more queer people. Like, there's so many more people instead of, like, just, like, the stereotypical like old like white man that you see that like is like a very standard like what you usually think of for like a music photographer or like a event photographer um and i have really have seen a change and i guess like one of the it's like so special I, people will sometimes come up to me and be like hey like And they're usually like Asian girls and they'll be like, yeah, like you're someone who like, you're the reason I started doing it because I didn't realize like this was like a possibility. And like that's so special to me because that's like, like that's all I can hope to have like any sort of like impact on anyone is like being like you can do this. Like that's a possibility because I lived the first, I don't know, 18 years of my life not knowing like this was a possibility at all. Yeah. So I think that is something that does need to change. And I think that's something else that needs to change in line with that is not only at the ground level, we need to have more people like diverse people with different backgrounds and like more of a sensitivity to people of like, like, like everyone instead of like these people who have been in positions of power in these like labels and management for like decades and decades and have kind of just like been functioning in a way that's like in their ways and it was successful maybe 50 years ago but the scope is very very different now and i think that like that it needs to change where we need more people more women more people of color more queer people um in positions of power because that is really how things are going to change um being on the ground level is great. And that is great in actually having like a snowball effect, but in order for things to actually change at a greater scope, I think the positions of power uh, need to like be more diverse. And I think that's happening. I think something that I'm really excited about is I think a lot of my like friends that I've made through these years are now like, I see them moving up and like their respective roles and, it's very exciting to me because I'm like in whatever, how many years things when changeover is happening, like these are people that I know are really good people outside of being really talented, like in these roles that are going to open more doors and be more welcoming to people. Um, And I think that's something that's like really, really special and something I am hopeful of, uh, which is great. Um, And then I guess something that I think that the music industry does well. This is like a nuanced take, but I've, I've worked in fashion a little bit. I've had some like intermingling with like, I haven't done much like in like the film space, um, but something I've always really loved about music um, that is both to its detriment and to its like benefit is like how scrappy it is there isn't, like, a music video budget is, like, tiny, minuscule compared to, I don't know, like, a short film or a commercial, like it's a lot, like it's the whole industry is, like, a lot more, like DIY Um, and it's not, like, fashion photography where you have to assist under, like, this person for X amount of years to be able to move next step. like the, like, the structures of how to, like, move up in music are, like, way more of a mess. And, like, you can, like, you. there's so many ways to be successful and to, like, have a career. And there's not, it's not, like, this locksteps way that a lot of times I think, like, film and fashion can be because there's so many more rules and so many more, like, this fashion, like, Annie Lee Woods, as, as you mentioned earlier, like, she will forever, like, just be, She's, like, the Vogue photographer, you know, and, like, that's, (laughs) yeah, like, that's set, and, like, in order to get to that point, you have to, like, do X amount of steps, but, like, I think music is a lot more, like, this random thing went viral, and, like, this random song went viral, and these, like, these opportunities just open up to, like, random people who, like, probably never expected that, um, and I think that's something really special about, like, music can be so snobby and uh, like gatekeepy and like exclusive for sure. Um, But I definitely feel much more comfortable in this space than when I'm in like fashion or something where I feel like it's much more like the barrier to entry is just higher. And I think that that's something really special about music is that it's like, it's so, it's so unpredictable. So there's a lot of ways to like find your niche and find a way to make a career in it without following like the traditional rules.
0: I think that's so cool. And it's such an interesting perspective because I think it's so true that that unpredictability makes it so that that element of this industry is a little bit less limiting for Mm -hmm. certain people in that way. So that's really, really cool. Okay, well, I just have two more quick questions for you. Thank you for, you know, taking so much time to be able to speak with us because <laughs> this is gold knowledge, Dini. Like, seriously, you're going to hear this back. And you're going to be like, wow. I know. Sorry, I'm also, this. like, so rambly. I'm like – No, no, my, you're not at all.
1: My ADHD brain just, like, hops places. Like, sometimes I'll get a question and I'll,
0: like yeah. – I absolutely love it because it allows us to hear certain things that, like, I wouldn't even think to ask, you know? Like, it gives – It gives multiple different perspectives. So I'm really grateful for it all. But I want to know, what is something that no matter how successful you become, whether that be in photography, whether that be in law, whether that be in any other element of your life, what is something that you really hope that you hold on to about yourself that you currently have?
1: Just, I guess, this genuine love for art and for music, I think, like, the second, I no longer enjoy – I also, like, I you meet a lot of people in the music industry who are jaded and, like, hate, seem like they hate their jobs. Like, they hate their lives and you're, like, <laughs> you're next to them and you're, like, why are you here? Like, there are so many easier ways to make money that are way less yeah. miserable. Like, if you hate this, like, why are you here? Um, and I think that's something that I really, really hope that I – will always have um I'm just still like every gig I do I like just genuinely love so much and I love the people that I'm friends with and I love like the community I've like had um through this and I think that's something I like forever like want to hold on to regardless of like where I am in my life and where I am in my career because in the end none of it fucking matters like I don't know if my stuff is on pitchfork for one day. Like that's really fucking cool for me in the moment. But like what's going to matter in, I don't know, 10, 20 years is like whether I still love making art and I have people around me that I love that also like do the same and I'm inspired by them.
0: That's really awesome. And if you ever find yourself 10 years, 20 years, 50 years down the line, rethinking it all make sure to listen back to this episode (laughs) and hear yourself say that you want to still love it because i think it's important to just like mark ourselves where we are now and remember how important things are to us in this very moment before things Mm -hmm. like blow up to as amazingly successful as they could be which i'm really confident that you're gonna be huge like you're already (laughs) huge to me so it's really really cool (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay. Well, one final question for you. You may not have the answer to this. Not sure. Some people do. Some people don't. But do you have a quote that you live by?
1: Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. No. <laughs> I wish I wish I was one of those people that was like really deep and like had profound views on life. But like, I'm really just someone who like lives day by day and like I, I'm not a planner. Like I just do things because I like it, or like this feels right in the moment. Like I'm very much just like
0: that. Can be your quote. I'm not a life. planner. I just do things because I like it.
1: <laughs> um. Yeah. I no. I wish I did, but um. Yeah, and I th- I do think like one of the philosophies I have, not a quote, um, that I live by is just like giving your all at everything you do is so important because, in the end, like. You, whatever success or whatever meters of success you have for yourself, the only thing you can say for sure is I worked damn hard to get here. And, like, it doesn't matter, like, if you reach this concrete goal or not. Like, if I say, like, I put hundred percent of myself into something, then I have no regrets. And like, that's the only way to keep moving forward. Like, I don't, don't dwell on the past because like there's, you can't change anything. Like the only control you have over your life is like how much, how much of yourself and how hard you work at it. And like, that's like something that I've just always like lived by. That's something like that my, I've learned from my parents is just like, you can work hard. Like, that's the only thing you can't You can control who you're going to run into or who you're going to like, who's going to hire you, who's going to take a chance on you. There's so much that's up to luck and up to like circumstance, but working hard is something that like always will speak for itself.
0: Well, I can just tell all of you from, again, following your journey from afar, that is one thing that I am so sure of about you is that. You truly like it inspires me when I see work that you're putting out, when I see how much you're hustling, the multiple things that you're doing at once. You're always working hard. And we all know that luck plays a portion of things in. But just like you said, you need to work hard to at least get anywhere in life, whether that be the metric of success that you think or not. It's just it's incredible what you've done. So thank you for sharing this journey with us. It's really important, I think, for people to just hear that. You know, it's it's not easy, but it's possible. And you are quite literally living proof of that. So thank you, Demi. Well, thank you very much. And I think back – I guess just back to your earlier point
1: about, like, you being lost and, like, not knowing what you want to do. Like, I still feel lost. Like, I still don't want to <laughs> do it. Like, I still, like, tomorrow could be a lawyer full-time and, like, could just quit. Like, or I'll – you know, maybe I'll just, like, love law, you know? I never. I yeah. literally don't know where my life is going to be. So I think, like, just – The only thing I can use as, like, my guiding, like, source is just, like, going with your gut and just doing what you love and spending time with people that you love.
0: Absolutely. I love the quote that's, like, don't follow me. I'm lost, too. (laughs) <laughs> it's like, That's literally it's like, me. That's so me. <laughs> it's, because it's like, that is it. It's like, I think we're all a little bit lost, but in some ways we're still all following each other. And, but like, nobody knows what's going on ever. So I don't know, but it's it's comforting to know that even somebody that I deem as successful as you can feel a little bit like that too. So thanks for being in it with me. <laughs> can you tell everybody, please, Jeannie, before we sign off here, where they can find you, where they can see your work, where they can follow your journey?
1: Um, yeah, I am pretty pretty easy. Just Deanie Chen um, across all socials. Um, and my website's com. So very easy.
0: It's a really cool website, you guys. I've spent <laughs> a lot of time browsing it. Just like I love it. So definitely check Thank it you. out. Thank you so much, Jeannie. Really, this has meant so much for you to take the time. Like I said, the very little time that you have. So thank you, thank you, thank you.
1: This was lovely. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you all for listening to Excuse My Reach. Quick housekeeping update that this is actually our final episode of season one. So thank you all so much for joining us for season one listening to the impactful conversations that we've had, hearing from individuals that truly have so much important knowledge and perspectives on how they got to where they are. If you have not listened to all the episodes, feel free to check them out wherever you get your podcasts. We will be back for season two in the new year. But until then, make sure you like, download, share with your friends, be kind to those around you, and don't be afraid to reach a little higher. So good. (laughs) We're done.